Some faces I see regularly, some faces I don't see very often. You're really welcome. We come together to praise the Lord. So let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Father God, we come to you on a cold, crisp morning. But a cold, crisp morning that brings sunshine and brings blue skies. And this morning we come together to praise you. We come together to worship you. But more than anything else, we come to remember who we are and who we are before you. And that is your children. That is your family. That is people who are trying to search you out. And Father, as we spend our time together this morning, I'd ask you to really look into our hearts. But ask us to do the same. To really investigate to really think about our motives, to really think about who we are, to think about who we serve, and to think about what is the road we're currently travelling on. Father, help us be open. Help us be open to you. And help us approach you in the holy place. Thank you, Father, for giving us this peace. For giving us this time, for giving us this place. Amen. Uh, good morning, all. To give a particular welcome to Velvet and Abigail and to Laura this morning, to Umbria and to Roger, and to Hannah and Elliot and the family. You're all welcome to be here this morning. Father, we've got lots of plans this week. We know you have plans for us. We pray that all that we do is to your glory, Lord Jesus, thank you for being alongside us. Thanks, Dave. It's funny how time passes and you don't sort of realise it. So to start off this morning, what I'm going to take you back is nearly 25 years. Um, I'm going to take you back to one Saturday lunchtime. Um... And this is something that happened to me. I say it's about 25 years because I don't know exactly what it was. But work on the fact that Ben was definitely under five. Okay? So, one Saturday lunchtime, it's roughly about half past 12, and I'm driving home from work. I'm driving home from work in one of the works of Anne's, and it's on the back of a usual week. So I've topped 90 hours. Started at three in the morning, and what surprise you, I'm tired. Um... I don't know what happened next, completely. Um, did I fall asleep at the wheel? I don't know. Um, did I lose concentration? Obviously. Um, what I do know is, uh, about 60, 65 miles an hour, I touched the left-hand curb. And I touched the left-hand curb, and at which point, it won't surprise you, I was awake. Or I was alert. And the vehicle I was in, on a dual carriageway, snaked across to the right-hand side. Um, doing what they tell you you should never do, but the thing you always do, as it started snaking, I hit the brake. And as I hit the brake, the vehicle turned left. The vehicle turned left and started to skid. And it skidded quite significantly. And if you can imagine, I'm going in that direction, skidded, went left, turned round, hit the crash barrier with the driver's side. So I hit it the other way around, hit the crash barrier, which point I'm still moving. At which point it continued to spin and then it flipped. 
and the vehicle eventually came to rest on the left-hand side. So, left-hand side, passenger side, if you've all got a sort of visual image. I was going to get a video, but 25 years since it didn't happen. Um, And you do what you do next, which is you open the driver's door, you climb onto the side of the van, and you get out. And then, because you can see your house, because it's only 250, 300 yards away, because you're not really thinking straight, you run home. And you run home. Sorry, Deb, I'm going to be a little bit late. Something's happened. Everything will be fine, but I'll be back in a bit. Is that all right? Yeah, Hannah's got no recollection of this story, just so we know. Which point, I ran back up the hill. But as I ran back up the hill, I was greeted by a closed road, two police cars, two fire engines, and an ambulance, which somebody who lived in the adjacent block of flats had called. Which point, as I ran up the hill, first policeman stopped me, and he just said, where do you think you're going? Uh, back to my van. He says, that can't be a van. So I said, what do you mean it can't be a van? He says, look at yourself. So I went, yeah, and? Look at your van. Okay. Because, and double tell you, we spent one night this week trying to get the old photos out to try and find it. And I wanted to put it up on screen because there was no panel of the van, whether it be sides, front, back, roof, that wasn't damaged. Literally, I'd hit everything. I did it properly. (coughs) But the one thing I'd say is... um, that guardrail on the left-hand side undoubtedly saved my life because it took the speed out of what I was doing and it actually meant that one way or another I'm still here and I had no injuries whatsoever. You might have noticed I used the word guardrail then and um, just in case you haven't sussed that out, guardrail equals crash barriers. Why have I used the word guardrail? The reason I've used the word guardrail is a few weeks since um, Esther and I were talking and she was talking about some podcasts she'd listened to, which are under this title um, called Guardrails. And it's a series that's been done by uh, a church in Atlanta um, led by a guy called Andy Stanley, which is all about that subject. That church in Atlanta, just to give you a little bit of context, little tiny church, Started in 1996, this guy called Andy Stanley decided he wanted to set up a church, wanted it to grow. Uh, What are we now, 2018? They've now got six sites and 24,000 people attend every Sunday morning. So it's fair to say they've grown. What scared me about the discussion with Esther was the fact that as she started talking about these podcasts, I remembered, hang on a minute, I've heard all this before. And what scared me was the fact that is nine years since I listened to those Andy Stanley, Andy Stanley, it's hard to say, podcasts, and actually did nothing about it. And listened to what he said then, and listened to what he said again now, refreshed, nine years on, and it had then no effect on me. And in light of that 25-year-ago experience, it should have done. And therefore, I've listened to them all again recently, ran them all from September onwards, and without his um, passion, style, Americanisms, you're stuck with me this morning, 
but I'm going to share a little bit of what he said in those five weeks. And the one thing you'll gather from that is I don't stand here telling you all this with it all sorted. Far from it, exactly the opposite. Um, But what I committed myself to is this is stuff I do need to sort, this is stuff I need to think about, and this is stuff I need to put into practice. What are guardrails? That's North Point, and that is the website, and I encourage you, please listen, they're worth it. Um, and anything I'm going to use this morning, I do have permission. Um, on their website, it gives you permission to use whatever you need. It's free to share. So please, in the nicest way, knock yourself out. It's really good. Um, so Andy stands in front of a screen and talks about guardrails. So guardrails are a system. So if you want to translate and say crash barriers in your head, do that. But I'm going to call them guardrails. Um, they're a system that are designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous and off-limit areas. And it's a system that actually is put in place for our safety. And you find them in various places. You find them on bridges, so you don't go off the edge. Again, Americanism. You find them on medians. Okay, let's put that into English and say down the middle of the road, so you don't have one vehicle going onto the other side. And then you find them on curves, for obviously the same reason. So that's very simply what guardrails are. There is, therefore, a safety zone and a danger zone. And the one thing you notice from that little image that's up on screen is, where's the guardrail? It's inside the safety zone. It's not on the edge. It's not in the danger zone. It's actually inside the safety zone. So it's not at the point whereby you are at risk. It's at the point whereby it stops you from being at risk. The whole point of a guardrail, the whole point of a crash barrier is it is there to minimise damage. (laughs) Tell my van that. (laughs) But it's there to minimise damage. Okay? And what Andy was suggesting in these podcasts is that actually a highway, a carriageway, is not the only place where you need guardrails, where you need crash barriers, where you need stuff to protect you from you. Okay? So, question. Why is it, when I'm given good advice, that will keep me on the right side of a crash barrier, on the right side of an accident, on the right side of a problem, and away from danger, I might, let's be clear, I probably will, try and find solutions myself, I will ignore ignore the rules of the road altogether, or I'll bend those rules to try and suit myself. Is that just me? No, good. Didn't think it would be. And what I'd say at the outset is, I think it's true for me, and it may be true for you too, that some of the advice that God has given me, and some of the advice that God has given you, actually, I choose what I think really matters and what doesn't. And I choose what works for me and I choose what doesn't. And I'm not proud of that. But that's that's it. That's where it's at. Sometimes some of the rules that God puts in front of you, some of the rules that God puts in front of me, we see as barriers. We see as things that stop us building relationships, friendships, actually just doing stuff we like doing. 
And what it does is maybe challenges the life we might spend with our family, with our friends, with our colleagues at work. And actually sometimes the rules that God gives us can get in our way. If you are one of the very fortunate, unusual people who actually haven't got any issue with all of this and everything God says actually makes perfect sense and you follow it to the letter, well done. Well done. But I think there might be a few of us in the room that might need a bit of help on this one. So that's what we're going to try and do this morning. Ephesians 5 says this, Be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I'll flash up on screen that image which had the crash barrier with the safety zone and the danger zone a number of times as we go through this morning. But I want you to keep that in the back of your minds. I want you to think about that safety zone and danger zone. Because stepping away from that danger zone, all that is about is stopping you from harm. All that is about is causing you to step in the direction of somebody who loves you. That's what it's for. God isn't trying to keep you away from something. That guardrail, that crash barrier, isn't there so that you can't see what's on the other side. It's there because God knows really clearly that if you do get the other side of that crash barrier, you're going to be worse off as a result. And all he's trying to do all the time, through all his rules, through all his regulations, through all the stuff he's putting in front of you, is he's trying to draw you to him. So in the podcast, Andy listed four areas. And just so we're clear, those podcasts, five weeks, 40 minutes, right? I have a challenge. But I'm not going to go on forever. What I'm going to do is just cherry pick some of the main points he talked about and also just elaborate, uh, elaborate slightly. So think about for yourselves your safety zone. Think about for yourselves, where do you push your guardrails? Think about for yourselves why you might push your guardrails. And think about for yourselves, are the times where you've set your own guardrails, your own barriers, and actually you've been criticised for it? Think about where there's times where you felt as if you've been inhibited by it. Think about if there's times where you feel you've actually been harmed by it. I'm going to start out of all these topics we're going to cover with potentially, I'll say the simplest one, but it's the one that's easiest, maybe, to get wrong. And that's our friendships. So, the people you spend your time with. The people I spend my time with. That's an Andy Stanley statement. It's the folks we've met that are part of our greatest regret. Just going to let that settle for a second. Okay, with that context, that looks like we're in a world of we're judging somebody else. It's somebody else's fault. 
and it's somebody else that's causing me to not do what I want to do. Is that what it's about? Just have a look at these verses. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So do you set yourself guardrails, barriers on who are part of your friendship group? And that doesn't matter if I'm speaking to somebody who's maybe the youngest in the room or somebody who's the oldest. How do you choose your friends? How do you decide who are your friends? It's the folks that we've met that are part of our greatest regret. It's about our judgment. It's about our choices. It's about our decisions as what impacts on us. Our friends, the people we're in contact with, determine the direction of our lives. The people we spend our time with, in our marriages, in our families, in our workplace, in our schools, in our colleges, wherever we are, are the people who will have the biggest impact on us. Are you still in your safety zone? Are you pushing towards your danger zone? And if you do drop your guard and maybe move into a slightly different friendship group, does that draw you to places where you might feel accepted but actually moves you out of the green and towards the red? Friends who won't take care of themselves, let's be really clear, they're not going to take care of you either. Friendship needs guardrails. It needs crash barriers. It needs something that lights up your conscience at the point at which that relationship with that friend is going in a direction that you know it shouldn't go. And when it dawns on you that that friend group, whether that's work, home, even conversations you're having, when it's not moving in the right direction, when it lights up your conscience, what are you going to do about it? This is one of his phrases, and actually this. Well, this rung true with me, so here we go. When you catch yourself pretending to be someone other than who you really are, does it light up your conscience? Or do you just let it go? And don't settle for friends who don't allow you to be you. And when you feel pressure to compromise, when you feel pressure, particularly on things that actually in your value set were a no-no, and in God's value set are a no-no, has your conscience lit up or are you just letting it go? When you hope the people you care about don't know where you are and don't know what you're doing. And actually, with a bit of luck, you can just get away with it. 
that should light up your conscience. And if it doesn't, think about your green versus red. Think about your safety zone versus your danger zone. And you should have alarm bells going off like there's no tomorrow. And then when you say, when some friend suggests something, oh, should we go and do this? And you think, yeah, 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 I'll go. Mm. Do you know what? I'll come, but I'm not going to take part. Would you buy that cop out from anybody else? Because I wouldn't. When you think about your friendship groups, when you think about your friends, when you think about the people you're coming into contact with, just ask yourself this question. Whose life is it anyway? And the answer is it's yours. And it's your crash barrier. And it's your danger. Think about what you need to do. The prudent see danger and take refuge. But the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Safety zone, danger zone, where do you want to be? Friendships was the easy one. Should we do relationships? Life would be so different for so many people if they, we, had guardrails on relationships. I'm not going to make any apologies for the next bit. Some of this will be blunt, and some of this will be stuff I think we need to hear. So, here goes. Um, How we behave emotionally, how we behave physically, how we behave sexually, how we, believe, how we behave in our friendships, in our workplace, in our marriages, needs guardrails. Please, at this point, when I ask these next questions, don't put your hand up. You'll see why. <laughs> how often do you entertain yourselves with books, TV, movies, that celebrate sex outside marriage. And then, why do we freak out when that happens and a marriage ends? Or a relationship breaks down, or someone gets badly hurt? Another Andy saying, when boys will be boys, girls will be garbage. Social media. It's a good few weeks since Martin stood up here and talked about who you follow. Social media is probably the most useful and the most dangerous thing we've got around us. Because you, we have got access to anything and everything. Social media, internet, whatever phrase you want to use. But everything is out there. What you have to decide is what influences you. What is the thing that actually sets your guardrail? What sets your barrier? Today's culture, the area we live in, yeah, is harder than any time that's happened previously. It's more difficult, it's more challenging, it is more out there, it is more visible, it is more acceptable, it is more available. All that stuff is there. You can dabble in whatever you want. But should you? 
you remember the verse everything is permissible but not everything is beneficial just because something is technically legal doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate if I went around doing whatever I thought I could get by with I'd be a slave to my whims you know the old saying first you eat to live and then you live to eat well it may be true that the body's only a temporary thing but that's no excuse for stuffing your body with food or indulging it with sex since the master honours you with a body honour him with a body God honoured the master's body by raising it from the grave. He'll treat yours with the same resurrection power. But until that time, remember your bodies are created with the same dignity as the master's body. Remember this as a guardrail. Remember this as a crash barrier. I'm to treat you. I'm to treat anybody I come into contact with with the same respect that God treats me and in the way I'm treated myself. Sexual sin will make you a liar and it will make you a secret keeper for the rest of your life. Because actual sexual sin hurts people. Sexual sin steals from people. Sexual sin dishonours people. And it causes pain. And do you know why God didn't want it to happen? Because he knew all that up front. And the last thing he wants for us is for us to be in a place where we are suffering pain and suffering discomfort and suffering hurt. Every person is loved by God. God does not want people to be hurt. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God, who are, you are not your own? You were bought at a price, therefore honour God with your bodies. God doesn't want to hurt you. God doesn't want people to hurt you. God wants you to set your safety zone and be aware of what your danger zone is. That's why God set rules. That's why God said one man, one woman. That's why that rule's there. Okay, right. So, having said all of that, that might not be an issue for me. That might not be an issue at all because I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to do whatever's going on in my mind. I'm not going to do that. But I'd like to suggest it's a lot more subtle than that. And these are the questions I'd ask you. Are there times when you find the company of your friends or the company of your work colleagues easier than your spouse or your partner? Is it okay to go out for a coffee with them on a lunchtime on your own? Is it okay to go out for a drink after work? Just the two of you. Is it okay to travel away on business? I mean, where's where's that going to lead to? That's not a problem, is it? What's the thing in your mind, in your heart, that sets off the guardrail that says, hang on a minute, I've got a problem. And I need to make sure I stay safe. 
or are you already on the right hand side of that barrier and only you can answer that only you can answer that and if any of this anything of what I've talked about in the last few minutes is going to cause you regrets in the future please do us a favour stay green because going forward ain't going to be pretty if you end up going red and just when you lot thought it was safe to relax do you know what I'm going to talk about next? money okay a few weeks since Charles stood up here and actually nearly stole me thunder but um, well known verse very well known verse often misquoted um, no one can serve two masters either you'll hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other you can't serve both God and money or as the message puts it you can't worship two gods at once loving one God you'll end up hating the other adoration of one feeds content for the other you can't worship God and money okay get it but hang on a minute You've worked hard. It's your money. It's your salary. It's your income. It's your overtime. It's your bonus. It's your savings. It's your pension. And let's be clear, you earned that. It's yours. This next bit is a fact, and you might find it hard to believe, but it's true. Most people I work with, even those that have been married for years, have separate personal bank accounts. And those separate personal bank accounts are separate. And they don't discuss what happens in those separate personal bank accounts. Why do you think that is? Don't know. Anyway, moving on. Um, <clears throat> you can't serve God and money. Actually, it's not about cash. It's about what owns you. It's about what masters you. It's about what's in charge. Do you have cash or does cash have you? Money and its promises, quote again, is the chief competitor for your heart because money leads to stuff. Money leads to possessions. Um, and let's be really clear, this isn't about people who've got a lot or people who've got a little. It's not about that at all. It's about a principle. And it's about a principle of understanding whether money is important to you or whether it isn't. It's probably wrong that I really like his next quote, and his, his next quote is this one. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Because what he works on the premise of is we either, as individuals, consume now, therefore we spend, or we consume later, therefore we hoard. So we've got a choice of either spending now or spending later. Either way, we spend when we live that way, we're living as if there is no God. 
And if that's all there is to life, then eat, drink and be merry, because tomorrow we die. And for those who don't know, that's also straight out of the Bible. That's Ecclesiastes 8 and Isaiah 22. So again, God is putting the rule in place to tell you what matters and what doesn't matter. And the question the guardrail asks you to consider is, is it about me now and me later? Or does anybody else come into the equation? If at any point in your life you've been in financial trouble, what did you do? You might have asked friends. It might be the one time you talk to God about your finances. It might be the one time you actually included him. It might be the one time you involved him because involved him because you needed help. And do we only do that when it suits us? And if that's the point at which you'd pray and invite God in, what's stopping you doing that now? What's stopping you having the discussion with God about I don't, what do I do with my cash? What do I do with my house? What do I do with the stuff that I've put up in the loft that I've had for five years and I keep moving from house to house when I move? What do I do about all that? What are my appetites? I'll run out of time before I run out of stuff. Fact. Life isn't stuff. Life is time. The last quote that on there, I think again, really hits home. Independence is a lifestyle that relegates God to emergencies. And it does. Because if you're independent, you don't need God. Until it hits the fan. Or it hits the crash barrier. So, God or money? The suggestion is that that's generally how we live. We live first. We save a bit, maybe. And if we've got anything left, we give. Or put another way, it's me first, me second, and others can have anything that's left. Right back in Deuteronomy, God tried to give us a different picture when he talked about giving a tenth first, the production of the land, and making sure that was shared before you then had anything left. And he twisted it on his head. He flipped it over and basically said, no, you give first, you save second, and you live on the rest. So you put others first, you prepare for what you need, and then you live on whatever's left. And out of all the stuff I've probably spoken about this morning, that's maybe the most challenging slide. Because, well, for me anyway, that is a flip. That is a change. But that's what God's suggesting actually works. That's what God says keeps you in the safe zone as compared to putting you in a danger zone. We're going to read together from Matthew chapter 6 and we're going to read verses 25 to 34 and Becky's going to come and read for us. 
If you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God. And you count far more to him than birds. Has anyone, by fussing in front of a mirror, ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion, do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop, but have you ever seen colour and design quite like it? The ten best-dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. The end of that really sums it up. So that was from the message. Um, A lot of you have been reading it in a different version. But just the way this words it, I think, again, just pushes the point home. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. Don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Instead of worrying, hoarding, consuming, seek first, reorder, rearrange, and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Because actually God's kingdom is another's first kingdom. It's not a me, me, me kingdom. It's a kingdom that puts other people before ourselves. And that affects our guardrails when it comes to our friends, to our relationships, to our cash, to the way we interact with each other. It covers the whole piece. Everything is affected by God's. They're not rules. They're actually there to help us. They're actually there to stop us making a mess of it. God has spent a lot of time over years with people trying to make sure we protect ourselves. He spent a lot of time communicating with people so that actually we've got a Bible we can read because they then were inspired by what he told them to put. All I'm trying to ask you to do this morning is think about what your guardrails are.
think about what your crash barriers need to be. And actually, although the rules that God sets down are very clear and straightforward, some of them will be easier for you to follow than some of the other ones. So I've not talked at all about any of these. I've not talked about alcohol. I've not talked about drugs. I've not talked about smoking. I've not talked about work-life balance. I've not talked about hobbies. I've not even talked about, have you chosen the right job? But what I'd ask you to do is think about what guardrails you need in the presence of a God who loves you. In the presence of a God who set that barrier, who set those barriers, because he knows that green is good and he knows that red hurts. We're going to pray. Please, just bow your heads. Father, thank you for giving us the freedom and the time to look at ourselves and think about our place before you. I thank you that over time you've spoken to men who've spoken to us, showing us really clearly how much you care for us. You've put in place so many things that if we listen, you help us live a life that not only follows you, but in doing so, it helps us live a life that looks out for others first, and a life that keeps us from hurting ourselves, a life that keeps us happy and protected and a life that gives you glory, and a life that gives you pleasure. You know, Father, because you know us, how hard it is for us to keep in that safety zone. And that's why you gave us Jesus, for when we mess up. Because, Father, you know we will. And because, Father, we know we will too. And Father, help us to remember first and foremost that you gave first. Father, as we come closer to you now, help us reprioritize, help us take away this message, and help us start, continue wherever we are on the journey, to put our guardrails in place that keep us safe, happy, and first and foremost, yours. Amen. We're going to sing three songs together. Um, and the songs we're going to sing, I think... It's easy to sing songs without picking up words. So I'm going to tell you the words first before I put one up on the screen because I think they tie into what I've been talking about. The first song we're going to sing is I Wait in Your Sanctuary. And verse 2 talks about Leaving all my many burdens, those well known and those uncertain, I approach you in the holy place. Gazing here upon your glory, Touched by you, I am made holy, not through my own efforts, but your grace. 
And then we're going to sing to be in your presence. Because whilst ever we're trying to work out which side of the barrier we're sitting, whilst ever we're trying to work out where the barrier is, we're in God's presence. We're in his view. We're in your view. And to be in his presence and the presence of the Lord Jesus at all times, to sit at his feet, where his love surrounds us and makes us... What's the next word? Yeah. Complete doesn't talk of broken, does it? It talks of complete. This is my desire, O Lord. And then we're going to sing, thank you for saving me. And this is the bit when I ran through this this morning. I knew I wouldn't get through this bit, so here we go. The second verse of that reads as follows. And what I want you to do when you sing these words is I want you to believe it. Because the second verse says, Mercy and grace are mine. Forgiven is my sin. Jesus, my only hope, the saviour of the world. Jesus had to set his crash barriers too. And he knew that what his father was saying to him was right. And he managed it. But the fact that for the number of times I've got it wrong, for the number of times you've got it wrong, mercy and grace are ours. And we need to hold on to that. I wait in your sanctuary. Mercy and grace are mine. Forgiven is my sin. And that's because of one person. That's because of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's because Jesus is our only hope. And he is the saviour of the world. He's the one that, as I said earlier, sorted out his guardrails, sorted out his crash barriers, and he stayed on the right side because he listened to his father. He listened to his father for all his life. And he listened to his father and he died for us. And our father God gave. I'm going to smoke him if he'd come and give thanks for the bread. Father, we thank you for a moment to come to your table. We seek you and we want to see you more clearly than we have done in the past. Father, may the meditations of our hearts as we share this bread be a blessing to you and a blessing to us. Help us to see Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, our rock and our redeemer. Through his name we pray. Amen. Father God, we have been blessed today 
home to hear our brother Trevor who's been inspired by our brother in America who've been both inspired by your mighty word Father God when Kate and I travel along the motorway we see the crash barrier the guardrail and quite often the cones are out because there's maintenance work to be done on that guardrail we have to slow down and the journey takes a bit longer but the maintenance is necessary help us to maintain our guardrails I'm very fortunate my guardrail is maintained by the love of a good woman and then I travel the 35 miles and my guardrail is maintained by the love of the Bethel my family here gives me strength but most of all Father God my guardrail is maintained by the remembrance by the knowledge by the faith of your dear son the greatest love of all Father we have been blessed truly today by a fantastic excitation let us be ever aware of the guardrail in our lives let us ever be aware of your dear son and the sacrifice he's made for us and let us be ever aware of the love in our lives that has been spoken so well by our brother be aware of the guardrail of the love of our brethren and sisters not just here in this room but made aware from across the Atlantic from across the Pacific from everywhere love as vast as the ocean we thank you for your dear son now in this wine and in our hearts Amen For those of you in the room who haven't as yet chosen to follow Jesus listen to both those podcasts and the reason I'd say that is whether you're a Christian or whether you're not what he says makes sense and what he says actually is just a really good guide for life but that's because it's Bible based and that's why it does make sense for those of you in the room that have chosen to be a Christian I'd listen to the podcasts anyway and I'd listen to them because we have to do it we have to sort out our guardrails we have to sort out our boundaries we have to sort out where we stand and we have to stick to it because Jesus did first the thing that I find amazing is the fact that God and Jesus find us today all these different people in this room all in the place where we are 
I don't mean the Bethel. I mean in the situation of life that we're currently at at this point. And God and Jesus meet us there. And once again, they find us just as we are. And they know from the lyrics of our last song that we are empty-handed. But actually, in their hands, we're alive. Majesty, majesty, your grace has found me just as I am. Empty-handed, but alive in your hands. Majesty, majesty, forever I am changed by your love. In the presence of your majesty. Father God, I think we've nearly said it all. We're in your hands, we're in your care, we're in your guidance. And Father, I think our challenge this week is remembering that. It's not about me, me, me. It's about you. 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 Yours is another's first kingdom. And Father, we'd like to be part of it. So help us do so now. And help us think about our behaviour. Help us think about how we interact with people. Help us think about our guardrails. But Father, help us see us through your eyes. Which is not beating ourselves up, but seeing seeing ourselves through you as saved. Living in mercy and living in grace and living in love. Thank you, Father. Amen.